You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Good morning. You are listening to Writer Than You. My name is Carrington Harrison. Very happy to be filling in once again. I'm coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need cash out of your home and a simple way to get it, remember that Rocket Mortgage can. Was it good for you too? Football was on television last night, and boy, did I watch very little of it. This is what I equate preseason football to. It's like chewing gum. The cheap kind. Have you ever had someone, maybe with a piece of double bubble, you know exactly the gum I'm talking about, it's rock hard. And you get that piece of double bubble, and those first couple bites are glorious. You get all the sugar, sweets, flavor in your mouth. And then after about three minutes, you spit it out because it's completely lost its flavor. That's what preseason football is like. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I'm happy that it's here. As I was watching Jared Stidham yesterday, I realized that I was not long for this game. We will not be having an extensive breakdown of last night's Hall of Fame game. As much as I'd like to. I don't think we're going to get that today. But what I would like to talk about is something that I was thinking about as I watched about six minutes of the game yesterday. And I was wondering to myself, are the Jacksonville Jaguars the worst team to cheer for? Like, I was thinking this. Because things haven't been very good for Jacksonville of late. Aside from those little bit of Blake Bortles years where I don't know how the one year they went to the AFC Championship game, yes, it confuses me too. They haven't had a winning season outside of that year since 2007. It's like that 2017 season just didn't happen. It's a figment of our imagination. Like the Jaguars have been bad. They're in a timeshare situation right now with London for their team. It seems like a miserable team to cheer for. I imagine this year will be the exact same. And then I started thinking more and more about who are some of the other worst teams to cheer for in sports. If you're a Lions fan, I'm sorry. You have a level of devotion that I don't have. If my team was as bad as the Lions have been for as long as the Lions have been, I would have abandoned ship a long time ago. I would have quit. I would have left. You're a special person if you cheer for the Lions. Your dedication, focus, commitment to your team is second to none. You should get free tickets to the Thanksgiving game every year. That should be fan appreciation day for everything you've put up with. You have given the Lions way more than they have given you. They've taken years off of your life. You would be a happier person right now if you stopped cheering for the Lions and started cheering for somebody else. But you said, no, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not leaving. I'm not switching teams. What if you cheer for the Sacramento Kings? Seems terrible to cheer for the Kings, doesn't it? But then it hit me. I was like, I know who the worst team to cheer for is. It's the Los Angeles Angels. Some of you might be thinking, why? How could the Angels be the worst team to cheer for? Why? What's your reasoning? Can you imagine being given not one, but two gifts from the baseball gods? One of the gifts is basically Gen Z version of Mickey Mantle. I mean, he is one of the most phenomenal baseball players that we have ever seen. Sometimes we just say that about Mike Trout. And I don't know if we really go into more examples of what makes Mike Trout so great. Like why Mike Trout is considered the way that he is. We're talking about somebody who has been an all-star 10 times. 
three MVPs, eight Silver Slugger awards. We're talking about somebody who has been an absolute phenomenon since the moment that we have seen him. Then I think about the other gift that you were given. So you've already squandered one of the gifts in Mike Trout. And then you get a unicorn, one of the greatest athletes that any of us have ever had the opportunity to watch. Shohei Otani is maybe one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball and one of the 10 best outfielders in baseball all rolled into one person. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember this, but there was a game on the Game Boy about Bo Jackson. And you could play football on this game. You could also play baseball on this game. Oh, as a young boy, it was magical. You're telling me on the same cartridge I can play an NFL game and a Major League Baseball game with Bo Jackson? Whose idea was this? That's what Shohei is like. I can go out there and I can give you seven innings pitched, 11 strikeouts, and then I can turn around and hit three home runs and have 11 RBIs. I'm that gifted. Yesterday, the Angels did what might be the most Angels thing to ever have happen. They hit seven home runs yesterday and still lost. Well, who they lose to? They had to have lost to the Yankees. No, they lost to the Oakland Athletics. They're the worst team to cheer for. I don't even know if it's close. 855-212-4227. I don't know if it could be any worse than cheering for the Los Angeles Angels. You have been given a gift from the gods. And then, after squandering the first gift, you got another gift. And what do you have to show for it? Absolutely nothing. You don't have anything to show for it. You've won your division one time. You've won zero playoff series. You're irrelevant. You're the ninth most important team in your own metro. You don't have anything to show for all of the gifts that you've been given. They're the worst team to cheer for. If you're a Lions fan at this point, you have to know what to expect. You don't have hope. You've never seen hope before. You don't know what hope looks like. If you're the Sacramento Kings at this point, you don't have any hope either. You know you're going to be bad. If you're an Angels fan, you're sitting there every day wondering to yourself how we completely squandered Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And that's a wonderful question. I don't know either. It is just as confusing to me as it is to you that you have been given such gifts from the baseball gods and completely squandered them. Coming up in about 45 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Josina Anderson, who has been covering the Deshaun Watson situation as well as anybody in the country. She'll join us coming up at the top of the hour. Speaking of Deshaun Watson, there is a report, according to ESPN and Sports Illustrated, that the NFL's final settlement with Deshaun Watson was to be suspended for 12 games and also be fined for a number between 8 to $10 million. Now let's talk about this part of the Sean Watson case that is maybe the most frustrating to me. I watched all of Deshaun Watson's press conference a while ago, the initial one that he had where he got thrown to the Wolves. But he should be thrown to the Wolves. It was him, general manager, coach, and the media was firing off questions. And he sits there and he gives a lot of non-answers and is very evasive about this, but you knew this was a process that he had to go through. Maybe this is for legalities, legal reasons, et cetera. 
I haven't seen a bit of remorse or understanding the severity of the situation at any single moment from Deshaun Watson. Regardless of not or whether we can debate on Deshaun Watson is guilty or innocent, I think every reasonable person listening can agree that he had repeated unwarranted advances on women and improper conduct. And at no point in which I've heard Deshaun Watson speak or his actions would represent that he understands that his actions in very serious ways made women feel repeatedly uncomfortable. One of the testimonies that Deshaun Watson gave, also the accuser, one of the accusers, is that at the end of the massage, he and her both testified to a grand jury that at the end of the massage, she was in tears. Now, I've gotten a massage before. Maybe you've gotten a massage before. Neither one of us are crying at the end of it. It was a pretty standard, hey, my back is tight. Massage, get up and go. That was it. The fact that this massage went very differently, to me, communicates that in some ways, Deshaun Watson's conduct was improper. And I have seen nothing from Deshaun Watson that would suggest that he believes his conduct was improper. When I look at this settlement, 12 games, fined to 8 to $10 million, to me, this is an admission or accepting I've done something wrong. I admit that, and I'm willing to take a severe penalty to communicate to you that I understand that I messed up. It then goes on to say that Watson's side shot it down because the offer, and he wasn't willing to accept any deal that was going to suspend the quarterback for more than six to eight games. Watson also isn't willing to accept a heavy fine. Deshaun, you just signed for $230 million. Fully guaranteed. That doesn't count the $15 million that you received last season to take vacations. Sean Watson wasn't around the Houston Texans last year. He wasn't. What was he doing? This is a settlement to me I would have very seriously considered if I was the Sean Watson side simply for the optics of it. The penalty that has been levied on Deshaun Watson is not severe enough for the level of repeated infractions that he has done. And accepting a, I would say, a pretty significant penalty would be an admission of, I understand what I did was wrong, and I'm willing to show a level of repentance for it. I don't care how much money you have. Losing 8 to $10 million got to hurt a little bit. That's a severe penalty. Sending out 12 of the 17 games is a severe penalty. But for somebody who has told me that he's never disrespected a woman, we're about to fight this thing to the death? I don't know how this situation is going to play out. We'll have Josina Anderson join us, and we'll try to get more clarity, more insight on this situation. But it is just frustrating to hear, read the reports from Deshaun Watson in various encounters with these women and then see his actions, see his movements, see his words, and not feel like there is an ounce of remorse for what he's done. And as someone who I think graciously wants to get back in our good graces, because Deshaun Watson at one point, most people thought he was a stand-up guy. He seemed like it. He came off like a stand-up guy. 
Most predators do. But this is a fair compromise on all sides. 12-game suspension and a significant financial penalty, and you need help. The NFL is going for 17. I don't think they'll get 17. I do think they'll get double digits. I think the NFL is has its has a very firm stance that Deshaun Watson cannot be suspended for just six games. And the league's image is on the line in a lot of separate ways because there is a perception amongst NFL fans that they don't take these situations seriously. They're taking this one seriously. I think you have to give Roger Goodell that. So coming up at the top of the hour, we'll talk to Josina Anderson, who has covered this case as well as anybody. Coming up, I do want to get back to the Hall of Fame game. There is a team that people are completely disregarding. I'll tell you who it is next. Keep it right here. It's Ryder Than You, live on CBS Sports Radio. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Back in on Writer Than You, my name is Carrington Harrison. Very happy to be filling in today. Hopefully you are having a fantastic Friday. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll be joined by Josina Anderson, who has been one of the best reporters on the Deshaun Watson case. We'll talk to her coming up in about 40 minutes or so, an update at the bottom of the hour. So yesterday, I assume you were not watching this. I will not blame you for not watching this, but... Chris Collinsworth, at the very end of the broadcast, said that he believes there are 13 teams in the AFC that could go to the Super Bowl. Now, there are only 16 teams in the AFC. So, I'm guessing. He didn't specify the teams. But I'm guessing his three teams are the Jets, Jaguars, and Texans. Now, that is just an assumption on my part. He did not say that. But those three teams feel like the most obvious ones. The Jets, Texans, and Jaguars, I'm assuming, are the three teams that he believes have absolutely no chance to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I'm looking at the AFC. What scenario do we think that Miami makes the Super Bowl? Maybe you are a Tua believer. I once was a Tua believer. Coming out of Alabama, I thought he had a chance to be Marcus Mariota. You know, the good version of Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota's second season, he was an ascending player. Eventually, I think injuries, health started to become an issue. I think we started to see his body deteriorate right before our own eyes, and he was a shell of himself. But the progression for Marcus Mariota was one of positivity. I was excited about Marcus Mariota. I thought that's what Tua had a chance to be, and then I started watching him play NFL games. If you've been listening to Tyreek Hill at all this entire offseason, Tyreek Hill has been telling you he thinks Tua stinks. you got to think beyond all the words. Oh, he's the most accurate quarterback. No. Tyreek Hill is trying to convince himself. Convince himself of that that Tua doesn't stink. 
Think about it. If you're Tyreek Hill, you know what high-end quarterback play looks like. You've seen it. You've seen Patrick Mahomes play. You were the wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes when he threw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdown passes. You know what it should look like. You know what it should feel like. But, no, you've been on a try-to-convince-us-to-his-good tour this entire time. He's not. You're not going to the Super Bowl with that quarterback. New England, I they have Belichick, correct? Does New England really have a chance to go to the Super Bowl? Do they trust their quarterback enough to really give themselves a chance to go to the Super Bowl? Because last year I saw a team that wanted to do everything in its power to hide its quarterback. We're not going to a Super Bowl that way. The days of going to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, Brad Johnson, and Trent Dilfer are over. Your defense can't be good enough to do that in the modern time. The rules won't allow you to do that. You can't have a 2000s Raven, a early Bucks defense anymore, those Bears defenses of the mid-2000s. The game won't allow you to do that. You're not holding good teams to 15 points the way that the Ravens were doing. I think it's nearly impossible to do it this way, the way the Patriots are trying to do it. That might have worked in 2002. It's not working in 2022. Do the Patriots really have a chance to win the Super Bowl? Are they one of the 13 teams that really have a chance? I think to Cleveland. A lot of uncertainty this year. I think there's too many moving parts to seriously consider the Browns to be a legitimate Super Bowl favorite. Way too many moving parts. I don't know if your quarterback's coming, going, staying. It's too much. Those aren't the teams that put it all together to go to the Super Bowl. Typically, the teams that make it to the Super Bowl, they don't fly under the radar, but there's a level of stability and calmness about them. There's been nothing calm about this offseason for the Browns. It's been very chaotic. Chaotic teams don't make the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh has Mitch Trubisky. Case closed. I ain't got to spend a lot of time talking about them. I'm not here to waste my time or yours. Pittsburgh's not going to the Super Bowl. They might make the playoffs. They got Mike Tomlin. Wouldn't be surprised if they do that. Mitch Trubisky is winning three playoff games to take his team to a Super Bowl. No chance. Let's move on. Now, Indianapolis, to me, is a very interesting one. Last year, I think Indy should have been a playoff team, would have been a playoff team, could have been a playoff team. They had Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz was a little better than you remember last year. A little better. But the thing about Carson Wentz is he's going to be Carson Wentz at the moment. You expect it at least. When it's third and eight and you need your quarterback to make a play, he will make a he will make a play for the opposite team, for the defense. He'll make a play. Oh, believe me, a ball will get tipped magically. A hand will just appear out of nowhere and fly in the air, and it'll be getting intercepted, gone the other way. That's what happens when Carson Wentz is around. I've seen it far too many times. I've 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 bought too much stock in Carson Wentz. I've lost too much money. I'm going bankrupt. But with Matt Ryan this year, there's a, there's a sense of stability. There's a sense of calmness. Think about how noisy the Cleveland Browns have been. Have you heard anything about the Colts? Nope. Minding our own business. Got our quarterback. Jonathan Taylor's healthy, I hope. Good. I like the Colts. Quiet. 
flying under the radar. They'd be a nice surprise. I don't think they'll go to the Super Bowl. I don't mind you counting them. Tennessee. The window has closed for the Titans. It's closed. The window is closed. 100% closed. You had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. You had a chance to maybe win the Super Bowl. Two years ago, you go to the AFC Championship game. Last year, you're the one seed. You get a bye. Your window to win a championship with Ryan Tannehill at your quarterback is slim. The first year you go to the AFC Championship game, you run into a buzzsaw of the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that was simply better than you were. Last season, you get the one seed home field advantage. You sack Joe Burrow eight times. Still find a way to lose because Tannehill throws three interceptions. Now you traded A.J. Brown and your best player, Derrick Henry, is a 29-year-old running back coming off a significant foot injury. Fade the Titans. That's not a Super Bowl team. Which then gets me to a team that I think is flying under the radar. As I'm watching the Hall of Fame game yesterday, it, it then dawns on me, why are we treating the Raiders the way that we're treating them? Now, granted, I, are they going to win the Super Bowl? Probably not. But the Raiders made the playoffs last year. They weren't the seven seed, barely squeaking. They made the playoffs last year. They didn't make the playoffs under the old system of making the playoffs. We're talking about a team last year that was able to overcome some pretty tremendous adversity. Their head coach got fired in the middle of the season. They had a wide receiver who was really starting to turn into an ascending player and really prove why he was a round one pick in a horrendous, horrific car accident in which someone died. And he is going to jail for a very long time. They had one of their players threaten to kill someone on Snapchat. Google it. Damon Arnett threatened to kill another person on Snapchat. I mean, you might as well have just kicked yourself off the team on yourself. You should have just walked into the coach's office and put your playbook in. I could have told you you weren't going to keep employment after that. That's not good. And despite all of those things, the Raiders still made the postseason last year. The Raiders are the most disrespected, overlooked team in the AFC, and it's not close. Made the playoffs last year, good quarterback play, improving offensive line, a running back in Josh Jacobs who has something to prove this year, not getting his fifth-year option picked up. He's a guy playing for another contract, and contract years are undefeated. Some of the best weapons this side of the Cincinnati Bengals. You've got Devontae Adams, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the National Football League. Darren Waller, who's the top five tight end. Hunter Renfro, who is slot receiver number one. And a defense that has made some improvements to go out there and get more pass rush. you got Max Crosby on one side, who you took care of. And on the other side, you've got Chandler Jones, who is a walking 10 to 13 sacks a season. The Raiders are a team that have completely been overlooked and disrespected for absolutely no reason. Maybe it's just because they're the Raiders. We laugh at them. If the Cowboys were the Raiders and the Cowboys had done what the Raiders done last season, 
they'd be a heavy Super Bowl favorite this upcoming season. Exact same everything. If this was the Cowboys with the way people pour premium gas into the Cowboys bandwagon, they'd be talked about as a legitimate Super Bowl team. Then either the Raiders, silver and black, oh, they play in Vegas. Oh, I don't get it. There's no reason to treat the Raiders this way. I want to hear from you guys on this, 855-212-4227. We'll take your calls on this. How many teams do you think can legitimately make the Super Bowl out of the AFC? Because I'm looking at it, and Chris Collinsworth said that it was 13 teams that could make the Super Bowl. Mm. I think it's eight. I think it's eight. I think every team in the AFC West, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Buffalo. One of those eight teams will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. A lot of it comes down to injuries, who's healthy, who's not healthy, the way the schedule breaks. There's a lot of variables. 16 of these teams cannot go to the Super Bowl. Let's go and cut it in half. There's eight. And there's degrees on which those teams can do it. But those are the teams. Buffalo, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, those four, plus every team in the AFC West can win the Super Bowl. If Russell Wilson's still Russell Wilson, Denver can win the Super Bowl. If the Chargers' defense has improved off being the 30th-ranked defense last year, and let's say they get to 17 with that offense, they can go to the Super Bowl. The Raiders, who made the playoffs last year, who have improved defensively and on offense with the addition of Devontae Adams, if things go right, they can be the 2022 version of the Cincinnati Bengals and make the Super Bowl. We already know about Kansas City. That's the eight. It's not 13. It's eight. Those are the eight. I want to hear from you guys on this, 855 212 Four two two seven. Chris Collinsworth said there are 13 teams in the AFC that can make the Super Bowl. I think there's eight teams that can do so. Buffalo, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and all four teams in the AFC West. We'll take your phone calls on this. I do want to hear you guys' thoughts on this, on how many teams you think it's realistic can make the Super Bowl in the AFC. And there's one team in the NFC I am already ready to write off. I'm already ready to call it. The fight is over. It's done. I'll tell you what team that is coming up in just a bit. But first, let's get you guys a CBS Sports Radio update with my guy, Peter Schwartz. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Good morning. You are listening to Writer Than You. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll be joined by Josina Anderson, who has been on top of everything regarding the Sean Watson situation. Very excited to talk to her to get her insight on everything that's happening with the Deshaun Watson situation. We were talking about this before the update, and I do want to take you guys' phone calls on this, 855-212-4227. Yesterday, during the Hall of Fame game, which was a most riveting exhibition, one of the best exhibitions I've ever seen. I mean, there's preseason football, and then there's this game. It's in a class of its own. I mean, if you missed this, you missed one of the greatest preseason games I've ever seen. Shame on you for missing it. But at the end of the game, Chris Collinsworth said that he thought 13 teams could represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Now, 
he didn't go down the list and specify what teams he thought couldn't make the Super Bowl. Let's go ahead and assume that the New York Jets are one of those teams because why would you think the Jets can make the Super Bowl? Chris Collinsworth seems a little smarter than that. Houston seems like a team that also has no chance of making the Super Bowl this season. And I would say Jacksonville is not a Super Bowl contending team. Could you convince me that Jacksonville's a little better than people think and they'll win seven, eight games this year? And we'll look up and say, oh, wow, that's a significant difference. They've got a real NFL coach. They got a real living, breathing NFL coach. This is different. You could talk me into that. Wouldn't be that surprised. So I think those are the three teams that he says have no chance. The Jets, Texans, and Jaguars. I think the list is even smaller than he says. I don't think there's 13 teams that can make it. I think it's eight. Miami cannot go to the Super Bowl. New England cannot go to the Super Bowl with the way they treat their quarterback. They're afraid of their quarterback. Now, maybe this season something's changed with Mac Jones. I know Bill Belichick was all excited about him a couple of days ago and raved about him. I got to see it because you're not going to the Super Bowl if your quarterback is throwing for 3,300 yards and 22 touchdowns anymore. That's not today's NFL. That was the NFL 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. You're not going to and winning the Super Bowl with that quarterback. And that's what Mac Jones is. So, no, they're not on my list. Miami, not on my list. Two of things. Cleveland, way too noisy this offseason. Pittsburgh, they have Mitch Trubisky. What are we doing here? We watched Mitch Trubisky. He can take your team to the Super Bowl. I don't care what costume you put him in. He's the same person. No. I'm not taking any team in the AFC South that can go to the Super Bowl. The Colts are intriguing, but I'm going to say no. And every team in the AFC West. There's eight teams. Buffalo, Baltimore, Cincinnati. If you want to throw Indy in there, I'll listen to you on Indy. I'm not going to fight you too hard on Indy. They can be in my eight. And then all four teams in the AFC West. And I think the Raiders are being completely undervalued in this conversation. A team that made the playoffs last year, good quarterback, improving offensive line, a hungry Josh Jacobs, great weapons on the outside, a pass rush. That team can sneak into the playoffs. That team doesn't sound too much different than the team that went to the Super Bowl last year in the AFC. That's what Cincinnati was. Good quarterback, Joe Mixon elite skill position players, a defense far better than people were willing to give it credit. Now, I would take Burrow over Derek Carr. I don't think it's some tremendous gap that Derek Carr couldn't overcome with simply more weapons and better weapons. Joe Burrow has one of the five best receivers in the league, not as Derek Carr. I think those are the eight teams. It's not 13. Let's go ahead and scratch five of those teams off. Let's be more judicious than that. It's really eight. And I think we're being generous with the Colts. I want to hear from you guys on this, 855-212-4227. Chris Collinsworth thinks that 13 teams can go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. I think that's way too big of a number. What number do you think it should be? Let's head to the phone lines for our first caller of the day. Adam is in Boise. Hey, Adam, good morning. Morning. Hey, man. I just wanted to hit on, you know, the AFC West. I think it's been kind of the talk of the offseason. I kind of feel like, uh, you know, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Uh, Chargers, I think, you know, 
the additions they've made on the defense plus continuity with Brandon Staley and that scheme and that coaching staff, that'll be solid. But as far as uh, the Raiders go, you know, I know they made the playoffs last year. I think they got serious questions at the offensive line spot. You've got Alex Leatherwood starting last night in the Hall of Fame game, which, you know, that's a, that's a red flag. Um, and then really on the defensive side, they had Casey Hayward last year, lost him, might be one of the worst defensive backfield groups in the NFL. Um, and then they did have Yannick Ngakwe last year. I think it's something nobody's really talked about. They did add Chandler Jones, but how much of an improvement was that? And then with the Broncos, do we really think uh, Russell Wilson has a better receiving group than he had last year with uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? I personally don't think so. Obviously, the defense is an improvement. Running back room's great. Offensive line, really not a significant improvement over Seahawks. I don't know. Uh, get your thoughts on those things. I appreciate the phone call. When it comes to the Broncos, let's address your most recent point. I'm with you on the Broncos. The Broncos are actually my least favorite team out of the AFC West. I've got questions about Russell Wilson toward the end of his career in Seattle. I wonder how much of that is the injury, how much of it is just the regression of a player who is now over 30 years old. So I have questions about Russell Wilson. The thing about the Broncos that really intrigued me, and I think we'll get the answer to this sooner rather than later, there's a handful of teams in the league that you say to yourself, oh, I really like that team, but they don't have a quarterback. That's how we felt about Cleveland for the last few years. I really like this team. I like the two through 53, but I can't fully buy in because I don't trust number one. I would say the Broncos were also one of those teams. The Broncos now have a quarterback that we all know, and traditionally we have all trusted in Russell Wilson. How much of an impact does that have on the rest of the roster? I think the Broncos are a really talented roster. To your point, I like their running game. I think Javante Williams is on the verge of being a star this season. I really liked Jerry Judy coming out of, out of Alabama. Cortland Sutton has put together a good career so far. Tim Patrick, I think, is a really strong third option. Defensively, I think they're solid. There are a lot of things to like about the Broncos. We're going to see if our assumption was right. And our love for the Broncos roster, aside from number one, and is the number one good enough still? You're right about the passing weapons. The receivers that he has now are not nearly as good as the ones he had in Seattle. DK Metcalf's probably a top 10, top 12 wide receiver in the league. Tyler Lockett is one of the best slot receivers in the National Football League. So he is taking a downgrade. I do think the defense is better. And I also think that Nathaniel Hackett is going to be able to unlock something in Russell Wilson. How we've always talked about let Russell cook. To me, it always felt like a tug of war when it came to power. That Pete Carroll, I don't think his normal inclination is to open things up for his quarterback. I think it's established the run, use the run to set up the pass. That's not how modern quarterbacks want to play. And I think there was always a culture clash in Seattle over that that I don't think will exist in Denver for Russell Wilson. So we'll get our answer on if the Broncos roster is good enough and if number one is strong enough in Russell Wilson.
I don't love the Raiders' defense. I don't love it. I love the pass rush. Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. I do think Chandler Jones is an improvement over Yannick Ngakwe, as you mentioned. The linebacker core is fine. Their corner and safeties leave a lot to be desired. There's not a team that I love defensively. But I think they're going to be able to score. I think they're going to be able to score with just about anybody. I think there's a lot of names, a lot of depth on that offense. I think their offensive line's a little bit better than they're getting credit for. I think the Raiders are improved over last season and have a chance to really surprise people this upcoming season. There's a team in the NFC I want to talk about here before we're joined by Justina Anderson to get the latest on Deshaun Watson. There's a team in the NFC that I am already out on. I mean, right now, let me out. I can't do it. That team is the Arizona Cardinals. I can't do it. Earlier, I mentioned how I don't like noisy teams. I'm not saying that you can't have guys who have some personality, guys that have some fun, guys that talk in the media. It has been tumultuous this offseason for the Arizona Cardinals. Unnecessarily tumultuous for them. Those aren't teams that typically come together when it's football time and win at a really high level, especially in a division as tough and competitive as the one that they're in. You're talking about a team who could have the two best teams in the NFC in the same division in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I think the Rams are the best team in the NFC, and you can make a very strong case that San Francisco was the second best. So if you're at best fighting for third and you've had a lot of noise this offseason, don't let me out. I can't do it. Yesterday, a running backs coach facing domestic battery charges. Two days ago, Hollywood Brown charged with criminal speeding. Kyler Murray. It's just been a lot. It's just been a lot of noise, a lot of mess, a lot of chaos. I don't like chaotic teams. Those aren't teams that I think you can bet on. Those aren't teams that I think you can trust. DeAndre Hopkins out for the first six games. It's just a lot. Those teams don't come together. Normally, more things keep happening. More issues keep arising. They keep popping up. To me, these things are part of the culture in Arizona. That would... I'm fading it. I don't want anything to do with it. If there is a playoff team from last year, I am 100% convinced is missing the playoffs this year. Arizona is at the top of my list. Arizona is number one with a bullet point. That team is not making the playoffs. Far too noisy, far too chaotic, way too much stuff going on. That team severely disappoints. That team wins seven games. Every single offseason, we see a team like this that just can't keep, they can't get out of its own way, a team that stays in the headlines. Those are not the teams that go 12-5. and Those are the teams that win seven games and start firing people at the end of the season to try to bring in a new culture, a new climate. Those are the teams. So I wouldn't want anything to do with them. I'm telling you right now, if you're somebody who lays the over-unders, I'm telling you right now what you need to do. Go ahead and fade them. Go ahead and fade them. 
Don't do it. Reconsider. I don't want any part of the Arizona Cardinals. It just seems noisy. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll be joined by Josina Anderson, who has been on top of everything Deshaun Watson. And there is a report, according to ESPN and Sports Illustrated, that the NFL's final settlement offer with Deshaun Watson was that Watson would take a 12-game suspension and would also be fined in the range between 8 to $10 million. And this deal was rejected from Watson's camp because he's not willing to accept any suspension that's more than eight games. He also isn't willing to accept a heavy fine. Deshaun, you have $230 million guaranteed coming to you in this deal, and you made 15 last season. This is where you get up from the table. You won. You have turned an incredible negative into a financial positive. Pay the 8 to $10 million, accept the suspension, and move forward. Express remorse, express contrition, lay out a plan in which you plan on turning your life around and making better decisions and better choices. Stay out of the public eye for a few months and come back, never speak on it again and play football. That would be my advice if I'm his counsel. But his counsel has been steadfast on fighting these accusations and these charges every single step of the way. And up to this point, the strategy has mostly worked. They didn't get charged criminally. They have settled 23 of the 24 cases, and now they've got one final fight, a fight against the NFL. The NFL doesn't lose these fights too often. They won against Tom Brady. They won against Ezekiel Elliott. They will probably win against you. They'll probably win against you. History suggests that they are going to win. History suggests that in a fight player versus league, in the matter of suspension, league will win. I would take this settlement. Would Josina Anderson take this settlement? We'll find out together coming up at the top of the hour. One of the top NFL reporters in the country will join us. You're listening to CBS Sports Radio and Ryder Than You.